In 2016, the US Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, made the slightly controversial decision to approve a drug after it had failed multiple clinical trials. The reason for the decision was that the FDA had come under pressure from a patient group for the disease the drug was testing, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Duchenne is a rare genetic disease which causes severe muscular wasting, normally in boys. For DMD sufferers, the average life expectancy is 27 years and there is currently no cure, just treatments which can help alleviate symptoms. Summit Therapeutics is a British biotechnology company which is attempting to develop a cure for DMD. And today I've been joined by the group's chief executive, Glenn Edwards. Glenn, thank you very much for coming in. You're welcome. So the approval of the drug back in September 2016 came as a bit of a surprise. Why do you think the FDA was so keen to get a DMD drug approved? I'm not sure the FDA is keen or otherwise in getting a drug approved. I I think they're relatively... They go by the data. They, uh, they'll see what comes in front of them. The pressure was really coming from the patient groups and obviously uh, uh, politicians who are, are influenced by, uh, by the voters. I'd just like to go back and correct you. It's not that this drug, uh, Exendos 51, from a company called Sarepta, had mm-hmm. failed multiple trials. In, in this particular case, it, the, the issue was had they got enough data to show that the drug worked or not, had they passed the hurdle? It's not they'd failed it, but had they got added adequate uh, data. But your question is absolutely right, because it, it's, it's highlighting that in some of these really rare diseases, or diseases where there's no current treatment, there's incredible pressure to try and get new treatments, because uh, that gives patients hope. Uh, and, and, uh, and if they work, obviously, are going to transform the lives of, uh, uh, of these kids. So I think this is a really good example of immense pressure from the patient groups. Mm-hmm and the difficulties the regulator has in balancing up the uh, objective hurdles of whether to approve a drug or not Mm. when they've got this uh, immense pressure coming at them. Yeah, yeah. so that sort of desperate need um, for a DMD drug, is that one of the reasons that you got into the area? Well, yes, actually our work originated from uh, a world-famous team at the University of Oxford led by Professor uh, Kay Davis, who Mm. had the idea uh, that... Uh, this terrible disease for which uh, up to now there's been no real uh, uh, significant treatments could be uh, solved by, instead of fixing the genetic fault, by recruiting another uh, system that the uh, human body uh, has which could help this disease, and that is to make a a related protein called eutrophin. And so her life's work has been dedicated to finding out if we could get a significant treatment for this disease by recruiting another protein that the body produces. And so Summit has produced a, a range of, uh, of eutrophin modulators, the most advanced of which is in a phase two study at the moment. And if this works in animals, uh, and in humans in exactly the same way, uh, then we have the, the opportunity to really transform the lives of these kids and uh, restore their muscle function to something a- approximating to normal. Mm, yeah, well, such an amazing uh, sort of space to be working in. So eutrophin modulation differs from Exondis, and it also differs from another drug which has recently been approved. Why is it that your drug could be better? 
Well, I think the the other two treatments things on dis fifty fifty one and um, the other drug you're referring to, Translana from uh, PTC Therapeutics, work in a different way. But if they work, they only work on a small subset of patients. So one of the really exciting things about uh, eutrophin modulation, the approach that we're taking is that a single drug could apply to the entire Duchenne uh, population. And so for most of the boys with Duchenne, we are the most advanced uh, treatment and, uh, in development that could fundamentally affect uh, the nature of, uh, of the disease. So we don't really see those other two as competition. We see them just as, as other people in the field. And potentially there's the, the possibility that the drugs could be complementary to one another, that uh, treatment with uh, their drug could be enhanced by treatment with our drug or vice versa. Okay, okay, that's, that's interesting. So you've, you've said you've done t- trials in animals. <laughs> For anyone who invests in biotech, they will, will know that that's the first aid. From then, where, so where are you now? Right, so um, w- we are in the middle phase of the three phases of, uh, of, of testing of drugs in humans of clinical trials. We've completed phase one studies, which are primarily about uh, safety, although in, in our particular case, one of the challenges of our drug, Isutramid, was getting high enough levels of exposure. And so our phase one studies were not just aimed at looking at safety, they were aimed at optimising the exposure levels of the drug. And having got good exposure levels, and a a good uh, safety profile, we're now in the phase two stage, which is probably the the biggest stage for investors. It's the biggest value change. It's where you get the first evidence that your drug is actually uh, working in uh, in man. This is a very slow developing disease, and so the trials are are fairly uh, fairly long. So in our phase two study, these boys get treated for approximately a year. Um, And uh, we should be getting the first indications of whether these drugs were working or not later this year so it's a it's a really exciting uh, uh, time for us in, yeah. in this uh, treatment after many years we're at the sharp end and we'll uh, we'll find out whether the really exciting scientific data is borne out in uh, in human trials mm. so how long has it actually been since um sort of the first idea from your scientists in Oxford? Well, the first idea from uh, predates the company uh, formation. Yeah. So uh, that was more like 15 years ago. Yeah. But the, the company was set up in 2004. And here we are in 2017, just about to get the first uh, human efficacy data. Yeah. So in what year was Summit founded? Summit was founded in 2003. For the investors then, it has actually been quite a long road even to this point. Um, would you say investors had to be quite patient in waiting that long before this drug makes it to market? Well, I think all of us as human beings are impatient yeah. and the investors can can be so. But uh, the people who I really feel for here are the patients and the parents of, of the patients because this is a disease where it progresses, children lose the ability to walk when they're 10 or 11 and uh, all these uh, boys who, who who get the disease will die in late 20s or early 30s. And so it really behooves us to work as fast as we can uh, to try and find out whether these treatments work and if they do work to, to get them to market because every month is uh, a month lost for these uh, these children. Yeah. And with regards to that, your drug, has it been given orphan drug 
status. Yes. So actually, I think one of the huge successes uh, of uh, drug policy over the last uh, 20 years or so has been all the various measures that have been taken to encourage uh, companies to develop treatments for these really rare diseases. And one of those is uh, so-called orphan drug status, which is available in uh, all the developed uh, world. And, and we've, uh, we've got that. This is something that gives uh, both financial uh, uh, benefits and also regulatory benefits and the pathway for uh, getting approval for these drugs for rare diseases, especially where there's uh, no current treatment, has been eased uh, uh, as uh, as much as possible. But the biggest driver that has encouraged innovation in this sector has been the high price that it's been possible to get for orphan diseases. And I, and I know that then raises a, a wider issue of drug pricing uh, policy and uh, some of the uh, uh, orphan drugs have really come into the spotlight uh, in, in that area. But if we take a step back, the the ability to charge a high price for these rare diseases has been a major factor in the large number of effective treatments that have uh, uh, have got there. Um, we have another program which is an antibiotic, and the opposite has happened there. Um, we all know that uh, there is an increasing number of bacterial infections for which the current treatments don't work and the pipeline of new antibiotics is actually very lean and the reason it's very lean is that the pricing for antibiotics has been very low and it's been too low uh, to encourage pharmaceutical companies and investors to invest in in those programs and I think long term we're going to see that maybe the orphan drug pricing will soften a little bit Um, still we need these new drugs so that it, 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 we're still going to see relatively high pricing uh, for, for, for orphan drugs but maybe not as high as we've, we've had just uh, recently but what's really got to change is antibiotic pricing we've got to find a way of encouraging innovative companies um, and academics to uh, uh, develop uh, the new range of antibiotics that we so desperately need. Mm-hmm. Our antibiotic has, has really got to a very good uh, stage, but w- it would not have got there if it had just been down to the capital markets. Our investors were reluctant uh, to put money into that when uh, uh, we had this very exciting uh, Duchenne pr- uh, program. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for us, the Wellcome Trust stepped in and have given very significant funding uh, in order to get it to the end of phase two, where it's now commercially uh, uh, viable but uh, but we really do need to see changes in pricing from antibiotics to go up or other incentives in the same way that uh, perhaps in other areas uh, drug pricing maybe has got a little too high yeah that's really interesting you're sort of on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and actually from uh, an investor point of view, that's really very helpful because it means we've got two complementary programmes. We've mm-hmm. got a, a relatively high-risk programme in the Duchenne. There's no certainty that it'll work, although the data so far is really very encouraging. But for these types of drugs, there's a, a risk that when you get to man, it doesn't work out as well. On the other hand, if it does work, then we're going to make a fantastic return uh, for shareholders. So that's a, a higher-risk but a higher-reward project. And then in the antibiotic, um, although there are nearly a million cases a year of C. diff infection in Europe and the US, that's an an awful lot of patients, uh, with current antibiotic pricing and a a reasonable market penetration, that's likely to be in the sort of seven, eight hundred million dollars a year of sales. That's still attractive for us, but Mm. the really good thing about it is that 
once an antibiotic has got to the stage we're at, the end of phase two, then it has a relatively high chance of, of getting to market. So in these two programs, we've got a, kind of got a baseline case with the antibiotic of a good chance of getting to market at a fair price and a, a fair return to shareholders. And then we've got the the high risk, high reward on top of it uh, with the Duchenne program. And I, I think in terms of place for employees to work and for investors to invest. It's a really nice setup. Nice mix. So in terms of getting both of those to market, what are your plans for, for both the Duchenne and the antibiotics? Yeah, they're somewhat different in the same way that the, the programmes have a different profile. If we uh, look forward to uh, um, if these drugs were both approved, then the sort of organisation that you need to sell a Duchenne product is very, very different from the sort of organisation you need for an antibiotic. And you can think of that just simply in the number of uh, of points that you need to, to influence. So in Duchenne, it's a rare disease, but not only is it a rare disease, it's one where all the patients get funnelled in to very few specialist hospitals. So in order to uh, sell a product like uh, Izutramid, you need very few salespeople. The um, investigators are really expert. You, there's not a high educational uh, uh, issue to get across a new drug. Pe- parents and investigators will be aware of uh, developments. And if you've got good data, uh, then uh, setting up a sales organisation is relatively uh, straightforward. Uh, but you would do that yourself, would you? So we would do that ourselves in the United States and in other parts of the world. We've actually formed a partnership with uh, one of the companies you mentioned earlier, Sarepta, uh, and uh, they will market uh, the product uh, in Europe. And uh, um, in order for those rights, we got a, a nice upfront payment and we'll share development costs. So uh, they're helping to fund the development of, uh, of Izutramed in exchange. They will sell the, the, the product uh, in Europe. We contrast that with the antibiotic. This is something that uh, is an infection that affects people in hospitals, big and small, and in nursing homes. So you need a much larger sales organisation uh, in order to be able to uh, uh, sell a, a new antibiotic against uh, C. diff. And so while it is possible to set up uh, from scratch a sales organisation to, to sell something like that, it's more likely that at some point we will seek a, a marketing partner to, to do that. Now, whether that's uh, soon in terms of uh, them also helping to fund the phase three or whether we can get uh, further funding uh, to to fund the phase three ourselves and then look for a partnership after that we'll we'll wait to see right glenn thanks very much for coming in today it's been so interesting to talk to you and thank you for listening to listen to more boredom talk episodes head to acast.com or subscribe on itunes even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.